I greet you in Jesus' precious name again this evening. This is Sunday evening already, the last service of these series. I came on Monday evening not knowing many people here. I leave this evening knowing many of you just a little better and also leave encouraged by the witness of our Lord that's going forth from this place. Now, our world and our culture is in chaos and darkness. Places such as this, where the light and truth are so are going forth, is just a real blessing to believers, to families, and to the community as well. I do want to sincerely thank you as a congregation for so much for your prayers, but also for your great hospitality that you've shown to Jane and me this week. We were in several of your homes. It was a real joy to fellowship around meals and around the fellowship, the good fellowship. Thank you so much for the travel snacks, or in some cases meals each evening, what was left on our car. Uh, It was a real blessing. You've blessed us in many ways, and we just want to thank you for that. It was um, when we realized the pattern, you know, a food package in the car each evening, it became delightful to look forward to what might become the next night. And uh, it was just, you blessed us in so many ways. They were uh, all so delightful. And so we truthfully say that we ate of the abundance of Myerstown this week. And uh, we thank you for that. We don't know who all provided But thank you, and thank you, and thank you. You've been a real blessing to us in so many ways. And as we go, we're taking a bit of you in our hearts as well, as we've learned to know some of you better this week. I would like to go to the first book of the Bible again this evening, the book of Genesis, chapters 18 and 19. This morning, we were looking at Genesis chapter 15. This is three chapters later. It's, it's hard to overstate the importance of Genesis with regard to the understanding of our time, our place, the understanding of man, who man is, our purpose in the world. Just last week, I saw an editorial proclaiming that we're all good inside. Yes, people do some bad things, but we're all good inside, and It's that kind of rubbish that's driving so many bad decisions in our culture today. It's a total contradiction of truth, stems from a rejection of Genesis, a rejection of the fall of man, a a rejection of the truth of God's word. Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Any good that we do is God working through us. And of course, the rejection of Genesis chapter 1 has many men uh, concluding that we're no more than animals. Well, what's the purpose of living if we're no more than animals that evolved from amoebas or whatever it might be? A worldview based on humanistic reasoning can only lead to moral and societal failure. And of course, we're seeing that. Uh, Such deception has no possibility of bringing full, real fulfillment or real purpose to life. And certainly it's no preparation for the eternal 
life that all of us will experience someday, either in eternal life or eternal death. The book of Genesis, as well as other passages in Scripture, sometimes surprises us by the unpretentious way in which human life and human behavior is displayed. To quote uh, James Montgomery Boyce, he says, Sometimes unsaved people criticize the Bible because of its horrible stories of all varieties of iniquity, murder and rape and incest and treason and high crimes and foul deeds. True, but these things are never mentioned without being accompanied by the stern warning that God hates and punishes sin. It's far better for children to learn the facts of life from the word of God where sin is condemned than from dirty words on alley walls or from lewd stories, end of quote. Certainly Genesis, this book alone, has its share of such horrible stories. And yet they're here for our learning and for our instruction and they show the consequences of sin. Such is the case, the account that I'd like to look at this evening, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction. Just for a little background, we note that for most of his life, Abraham was simply noted as Abram, as he was this morning and from Genesis chapter 15, Abram meeting, meaning exalted father. Now by chapter 17, Abram was a father, but not with his wife Sarah. The couple was so desperate for a child that with Sarah's encouragement, Abram had a son Ishmael with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. In Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and established a covenant with him. This is a different covenant than the blood covenant that we talked about this morning. But the covenant here in Genesis 17, God told Abraham that I will, verse 2, I will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 4, you'll be the father of many nations. Verse 5, your name will change to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. Not just exalted father, but father of a multitude. Verse 6, nations and kings will come from you. Verse 7, this covenant is everlasting. Verse 8, this land of Canaan will be yours for an everlasting possession. Quite a covenant and quite a commendation from God. And circumcision was to be the sign of this covenant. This wealthy patriarch, 99 years old, with hundreds of servants and thousands of animals, allowed himself to be circumcised along with all of his sons and male servants. This shows the high regard that Abraham had for God and for his commandments. Moving to chapter 18, Abraham was taking a rest one day, relaxing in the door of his tent one hot afternoon when his eyes focused on three men approaching. Wanting to be a good host, Abraham ran to meet them. I find the verb choice amazing. Here's a 99-year-old man who ran to meet them. This is Genesis 18, verse 2. He begged them to stay for a meal. He hasted to tell, uh, instruct Sarah to quickly make some bread. And he ran to the herd to fetch a choice calf, giving instruction to a young servant to kill and prepare it quickly 
for a meal. That's chapter 18 and verse 7. Abraham's health must have been very good at 99, but his heart of a servant, his heart of servanthood and his desire to serve the Lord was also exceptional. This knowledge of Abraham was not lost on God. God pondered for a moment and said, shall I let Abraham in on what I plan to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes, he decided in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 18, Abraham will become a great and mighty nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Verse 19, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. I've always found this verse to be both challenging and encouraging. I think any man or any father should find this commendation of Abraham encouraging. God recognized the heart of Abraham. He knew that Abraham would be faithful. Oh, that I, that we, would, God would be able to say that, the same thing about us. I know Ed, or I know Leon, or I know Drew, or whoever it might be. Put your name in there. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of judgment. Can God say that of us? I trust that he can. Well, God did tell Abraham of his intention to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he told Abraham his reasons that this place was going to be destroyed. Uh, let's, let's start reading here. Genesis chapter 18. I'll pick up with verse 20. Genesis chapter 18. Picking up with verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Their sin... God said, was very grievous. They are very immoral. They are lovers of self. And I am going to destroy them. Well, who lived in Sodom? Lot lived in Sodom. You'll recall how the flocks and servants of Abraham and Lot had become too many to coexist nicely together. And Abraham had given Lot the choice. You can have the left hand, basically the wilderness, or you can have the right hand, basically the well-watered plain, which included Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot took the plain. May have been okay, but in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He moved in that direction. The writer of Genesis describes Sodom this way in Genesis 13, 13. He says, but the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Wickedness was rampant, but Sodom was more wicked than most. Think about Lot being in Sodom. How do we make decisions? It seems that Lot was a righteous man. At least Peter calls him just and righteous in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. 
But Lot seemingly wasn't very perceptive about where his decisions would lead. His unwise choices led to the loss of his wife and his children, with the exception perhaps of two daughters. Are we able to see and perceive where our choices will lead? Lot was not very successful as a father. He apparently didn't see the danger of living near and eventually living in Sodom. I say that based on the fact that his married daughters and sons-in-law had no regard for the Lord. To be fair to Lot, I don't know how long he lived in Sodom, perhaps not so long, but it seems that Sodom had a great inf- greater influence over his family than Lot had over his family. His witness to his neighbors, or at least success in witnessing to his neighbors. Now I know that we, you know, God gives the increase and we can only witness, but at least it seems like success of Lot, of witnessing to his neighbors was apparently negligible. There were not 10 righteous people in the entire city. Lot and his family lived in Sodom. Abraham knew this. So when the Lord told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, this caught Abraham's attention. But Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in that city, won't you spare it? Would you perhaps spare the city if there were 50 righteous people there? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham is appealing here to God on the basis of fairness. And I'm glad that we have a God. I'm glad that we have a Father, a judge who knows all things and who always does right. Because he is God, he can do nothing else. Many times we face situations where we ask, what's the best to do here? Who is right? Who is wrong? What would Jesus do if he were in this situation? Abraham told him, shall not pray to God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Someone suggested that this verse would be an appropriate text for a funeral sermon of one who lived an uncertain life. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. We may not be able to say whether a person had saving faith or not, but we can say unequivocally that the judge of all the earth will do right. Our all-knowing God, the one who will judge everyone, shall do right. And so Moses appeals to God on that basis. Well, if there's 50 righteous people, I'll spare it. Spare the city, the Lord told him. But Abraham couldn't think or find 50 righteous people, and more importantly, neither could God. So Abraham continued, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And God told Abraham, I will spare it for the sake of 10 righteous people in the city. But of course, there were not 10 righteous people in the city. There may have been four, Lot and his wife and two daughters, but they also made some bad decisions. The city of Sodom would be destroyed. This brings us to Genesis chapter 19, where we find two angels arriving at the doorstep of Lot in the wicked city of Sodom. 
Lot saw them. He wanted to be hospitable just as Abraham had bidden to the man. He rose to meet them in Genesis 19, verse 1. He bowed before them. He invited them into his house for the night. He provided water for them to wash their feet. They declared that they'd spend the night in the street, but Lot insisted greatly, and they entered into his house where he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread for them to eat. But you know the account, trouble was on the way. Lot likely thought that this was, would happen. I wonder if that's not why he took such great steps to invite them into his house. He knew the wickedness of the city and the neighbors and the residents there. And perhaps that's why he insisted so strongly that his guests spend the night in his house. But before they retired for the night, a mob had gathered outside Lot's door, demanding that he give his visitors to them so that they might have homosexual relations or sodomy with them. Such evil. We give Lot credit for trying to protect his visitors, but his alternative offer seems unthinkable, offering his two daughters so these wicked men could have relations with them. He was obviously desperate, not thinking clearly. I'm sure that Lot was wishing about now that he had made better choices in the past. Lot may have thought he was at home among the people at Sodom, but he quickly learned that they never really accepted him. The wicked men of the city told him in Genesis 19 and verse 9, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow, speaking about Lot, came into sojourn and he will needs be a and he will needs be a judge. Now we'll deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. They told Lot, Lot, are you going to judge us? Are you going to judge us? You're just a sojourner. You're just a passer through. At least they recognized that he was different from them. We'll certainly give Lot that credit. But they told him, if you want to be with, if that's the way you want to be, we'll deal worse with you than with your two visitors in your house. As I thought about this, a similarity to the situation in our nation today, it's uncanny. We also hear statements today like, if you don't support our agenda, we will do you in. We'll ruin your reputation. We will call you a bigot. We will put you in jail for hate speech. We'll shut down your business or shut down your church. There are those who think that the solution is political and are doing their best to convince the Amish and to convince the plain people to vote. Brothers and sisters, the answer is not politics. Identifying with a political party dilutes our identification with Christ and compromises the faithfulness needed to be an effective Christian witness. Political action follows worldly priorities. Christ and his church are out to save people, not to fight people. Secular power will never transform a heart or bring a person into the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be surprised when there's animosity toward holy living. This is nothing new. Consider Daniel cast into the lion's den. Consider Jeremiah cast into the pit. Consider Paul and the suffering that he endured. Our Anabaptist ancestors, many of whom were martyred, or any other number of godly men. It's just that most of us have lived our lives under circumstances that were accepting or favorable to Christian belief. As that changes, 
we need to remember that Christ's light shines brighter in the darkness as the nation gets darker. We're called to pray for our nation's leaders, and I trust we do that. I pray that we're praying for the upcoming election, but our allegiance is with Christ's kingdom. Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. It seems he was comfortable there. He fit in with the elders and the leaders of the city, or so he thought. But now they turned hard against him. The scriptures warn us that as we get closer to the Lord's return, persecution will only increase. Our real enemy is not men, but Satan, who knowing that his time is short, is doing his best to destroy any Christian witness. Don't fear. This is not a time to fear, but rather it's a time to put on God's armor. God's armor of faith and the word and truth and prayer. Even if they take our lives, he will give us enabling grace to stand true to him and keep us from falling. And that's what we rely on is the power of God. Well, Lot's words here to his fellow citizens in Sodom were useless. They didn't do any good. The wicked outside were pushing on the door, which was at the point of breaking when Lot's visitors pulled him in and shut the door and smote those outside the door with blindness. These angels obviously had superhuman power. They protected Lot and his wife and his two daughters. But by now, Lot was ready to flee, or, or was he? He was given one quick opportunity by the angels to gather his family on the way out. Genesis 19, let's pick up with verse 12. Genesis 19, verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in this city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this place. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. How sad. Lot acted foolishly when he chose to move into Sodom. He hadn't prepared his family, and they were influenced by the city's wickedness and debauchery. The Lord could not say of Lot, as he did of Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The morning came, and with it, Lot's escape and Sodom's destruction. It seems that Lot still dawdled, for the angels needed to hurry him up. In fact, they needed to take his hand and seemingly pull him out. Let's pick up with verse 15, Genesis 19, 15. And when the morning arose, when the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. 
and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shown unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto. It's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. Most of Lot's earthly possessions were likely in that city of Sodom. He likely had a very nice house, perhaps with servants. And these things had a pool on him. He likely had lots of animals. And although he knew escape was necessary, Lot struggled to leave those things behind. What's tying us to the things of this world? What's tying us to the things of this world? The angel told him, escape for your life. Don't look behind. Don't stay in the plain. These are all dangerous. Escape to the mountains, lest you be consumed. And Lot seems to make a reluctant escape. He doesn't seem very thankful to the angel for getting him out. There were no words of thanks that came out of his lips. His treasure was in that city. In fact, Lot uttered a statement about fleeing from the mountain that defies logic there in verse 18. He says, oh, not so, my Lord. Can anyone truthfully say, not so, my Lord? If someone is our Lord, we will obey and follow him. If we tell God, not so, neither can we truthfully call him our Lord. Well, Lot's request was that he might avoid the mountain by going to a little city named Zor. I'll die if I go to the mountain, he declared. Let me go to this little city. And the angels were certainly patient and accompanying to Lot. Hurry up and get there, they said. We won't destroy Sodom until you get there. But by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun was up in the sky and the Lord rained brimstone and fire from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The burning sulfur destroyed the entire population of the region, both the city and the plain, and everything that grew on the ground. Verse 25. But Lot's sorrow was not ended. His wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Perhaps she didn't believe the angel's warning not to look back, or perhaps she defiantly disobeyed. Disbelief and disobedience are both sin and demand judgment, as her punishment shows. The implication of looking back is that Lot's wife was singing, seeking to hang on to her life in Sodom. It was an earnest intent looking back. Maybe she was thinking about all the trinkets and the gadgets she left behind. Perhaps she was thinking of her children who were being burned up by the flames. But as she disobeyed and longingly, longingly looked back, she was covered with deposits of salt, the raining brimstone that was falling upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and she lost her life, the scripture says, turning into a pillar of salt. The futility of being obsessed with material things. Well, in verses 27 to 29, Abraham got up the next morning, looked out over the, from the heights, looked out upon the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, probably without saying much of a word. 
Certainly less than, probably less than 24 hours before, Abraham had stood at the same place, pleading with God for the people of Sodom. But as the day approached, the day went on, the city and its surrounding fertile fields that Lot had chosen had gone up in smoke. The Bible has no record that Abraham ever saw Lot again. God had declared to Noah that he would, to Noah that he would never destroy the earth in a flood. And here God used fiery hot brimstone to destroy the city. And Peter tells us that fire will again be used to destroy this earth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, looking forward and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. This yet coming destruction will be much more far-reaching than just a local area. It impacts the heavens and the elements. What a horrible time be for those who experience it. Furthermore, the one thing that Lot didn't want to do, he did. He told the angels he couldn't go to the mountains lest some evil would take him and he would die. And yet in verse 30, we read that Let, Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. Not so, my Lord, is never a good response whenever God speaks to us. Now we could wish that Lot learned from this experience that he became a man of God like Abraham was. But what follows is an account that we wish didn't need to be told. It's an account of drunkenness and incest and immorality. Lot's two daughters plotted to have Lot become drunk with wine and stooped low enough to commit incest with their father. The son of the older daughter was named Moab, who became father of the Moabites. The son of the younger was named Ben-Ami, became ancestor of the Ammonites. And these two nations became a snare to Israel and were constant enemies of the people of God. If Lot had refused the alcohol offered by his daughters, he never would have committed the sin that he did. One step leads to another in a downward spiral. The sin of Lot's incest in Genesis 19.36 is the last that we hear of Lot in the Old Testament. We don't know what became of him, yet even this was no surprise to God. Even his sin and the results of that, who used it to bring forth his purpose as Lot's descendant Ruth the Moabitess became an ancestor of the Son of God, our Savior. But as we look at this account, we see the consequences of sin. The reaping that follows the sowing. One morning in Sodom, life continued as it, has for, as it had for centuries. Businesses opened their shops, and housewives did the laundry, and children awoke to their lessons. The next morning, fire and brimstone fell and consumed the entire region. In addition, Lot reaped what he had sown. Like Lot, life does have a lot of decision points or forks in the road for each one of us. How do we make decisions as they come across our path? What if Lot had chosen the wilderness instead of the well-watered plain? What if Lot had spent his time witnessing against the evil of the city instead of sitting in the gate of Sodom, likely focused on his business dealings there? What if Lot had prayed a hedge of protection around his house in the midst of all the wickedness around him? 
What if Lot had taught and trained his children, his daughters, his sons-in-law to serve the Lord and had instilled in them the love of the Lord and the need of obedience to his commands? What if Lot and his wife recognized that all they had was God's and they had committed it all to him instead of lingering and looking back longingly on all the physical property that was being destroyed? Now we can ask, what if, what if, what if? We noted that Lot is called just and righteous in 2 Peter. He apparently did have a relationship with the Lord. Lot's wife and that of his two daughters was spared. Until Lot's life and his two daughters was spared. His wife died. But in the spiritual realm, certainly salvation is primary. But as in the account of Lot here would show, salvation is not the only thing that's important in life. When we know the Lord, our relationship with Him changes all of life. Knowing God changes how we answer and how we respond to these decision points, these forks in the road. It means that we earnestly desire to live in the will of God in obedience to Him. We're willing to sacrifice personal desires for His honor and His glory. We seek to grow in His Word and to become more like Him. Knowing God means that we recognize the influence that we have on others. You know, you might think, well, I don't have much influence. But let me tell you, even if you're a young person or if you have a younger sibling, you have more influence than you realize. We, all, we want to do all that we can to help others walk in the ways of the Lord. Are we willing to sacrifice life's pleasures to mentor and aid others in their walk with the Lord? Knowing God means that we have an eternal focus, not an earthly one, recognizing that the earth and all the things in it will be destroyed and that only things done for eternity will last. It means that we seek accountability within the church, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we not only have a strong desire for personal growth and immediate family growth, but we want our brothers and sisters to grow as well. We seek to encourage and exhort and even warn and rebuke others and to be exhorted and encouraged and rebuked as iron sharpens iron so the body of Christ can be built up in the faith a pillar of truth and light in a dark world and of course we also want unbelievers to enjoy the peace of Christ that we have to be prepared for a home in heaven through all eternity and escape the judgment and wrath of God that's due and will come to those who don't know him This account this evening is the true story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot has gone to his eternal reward. But each one of us here this evening are still on this side of eternity. We all have a story, and we're adding to it day by day. The real question this evening, what will be the end of your story? Life has many decision points, forks in the road that send us off in one direction or the other. And the younger we are, the bigger those differences make as, we, as the years pass, the rest of our lives. I've spoken with many people who want to live life for themselves, but end up in heaven. Yes, there are deathbed conversions, but there are few Let's just suppose for a moment that God does grant you a conscious, sound mind. 
and a short amount of time to ponder him on your deathbed. Please understand, neither of those things can be assured. It's a huge risk because many are plunged into eternity without any advance notice or any time to think or ponder eternity. But if God should grant you the mercy of opportunity at that last moment, what did you miss out on by putting it off? How many souls, how many family members, how many neighbors, how many co-workers, how many people remain lost because they were following you and your example when you could have obeyed the Lord in life but chose not to? Have you chosen the well-watered plain Anticipating a life of earthly ease and physical pleasure and abundance of luxury? Or will you choose the narrow way that will require sacrifice in this life but bring eternal peace and joy? Never forget that you cannot reap what you don't sow. You will reap what you sow. The prophets used Solomon as a warning to Israel regarding judgment that would come to sinners. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 14 I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none should return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Jude used Sodom as a warning to New Testament readers of judgment that would come to sinners. Jude 1, 6 and 7, the angels which are kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and are set forth forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jesus himself used Sodom as an example of judgment It'll come on unbelievers. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Sodom as a picture of judgment that will come on those who don't follow the Lord. What will be said about your life? No matter how young or how old you are, there are those who are looking up to you and following you. Maybe younger siblings, maybe employees, maybe friends. Will your acquaintances speak your name as an example of righteousness or as an example of a fool who lived for self? Each one of us will reap what we sow. Are you making wise decisions this evening? Maybe you're like Abraham of whom God said in Genesis 18, 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. If so, I want to commend you and encourage you in that way. Continue on. Be faithful. Walk in the Lord. Maybe you're like Lot this evening, who communed with God to some extent, but seems to have had many blind spots. Yes, Lot saved himself, but his wife, his wife, his married daughters, his sons-in-law, his grandchildren were lost. Salvation is of primary importance, but it's not the only thing of importance. Just there are things, there's more to life than just.
personal salvation. Or maybe you don't know the Lord at all this evening. Never made a commitment to Him, but you hear His Spirit talking to you this evening, prompting you to make that commitment to receive His salvation, to change the direction of your life. You're at a fork in the road. Which way are you going to go? Wherever you're at this evening, a first-time decision or a recommitment to walking closer to Him, I invite you to stand or come forward as we sing a song of invitation. None of us know if we'll have another opportunity to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus. None of us know if we'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking again to us. If you hear Him call, won't you stand or come forward this evening to receive Him as your Lord and Savior? What song will we sing? Faith and praise, number 674. The Lord is speaking to you this evening. Won't you commit your life to him? Let's sing. trust you're singing that this evening and meaning it. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm committed to him. I'm going to live for the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is true. But because it is true, it also has many sad stories of men and women who rejected you, choosing to live for self, and we see their sorry end. On the other hand, it tells us of the wonderful plan of salvation available to whosoever believes on you and commits themselves to you as Savior and Lord. Dear Lord, if there are any here this evening who you are speaking to but are resisting that decision, dear Lord, give them no peace until they're right with you. Help them to speak to someone this evening to get right with you. Thank you for the privilege of spending this week in your word with these precious people here at Myerstown. Dear Lord, thank you. Take your words and multiply them to your honor and to your glory that it might change and make a difference in the lives of your people, that we might grow in you, that we might become more like your precious son. Lord, I pray for each one who is a part of this congregation. Strengthen them, encourage them, help them to be your light in the community where they live and in the community here surrounding the church. Help us to become mature in you and faithful to the end. Dear Lord, thank you for your promise that you are able to keep us from falling. 
You are rooting for us. You want us to be faithful and successful to you. Of course, we have our part. But dear Lord, thank you for your spirit and work in our hearts and in our lives this week. And as decisions come, help us to choose rightly and walk in your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let your light shine for Jesus. Jesus is coming back again. And I trust that you're looking for him. May he find us faithful. Being here this week has given me a great appreciation for this congregation. And as I said earlier, I believe as we go, we take a little bit of you with us. So thank you for your prayers for us this week. Let's remember to pray for one another. That God will bring these thoughts and his word to our minds. We might grow in him. I'll turn the service back to Brother Drew.